0: Thank you, Leslie and Paul, and good to see you all here today. Hope you're having a great end of summer day. <laughs> it feels different in the mornings now, doesn't it? Yeah. You can tell it's changed. And we're, if we are on our present work schedule, we need about six and a half more months to finish <laughs> our harvest, so we'll, I'll let you know how that works out. <laughs> Dick Todd says there's two winters and one summer. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to the book of Acts once again. Acts chapter 13, we find ourselves, as I mentioned last week, there's a, there's a change. There's something has happened within the book of, of, of Acts, uh, that book itself being uh, a bridge work, if you will. If you were, uh, and I've, I've said this quite a few times in our study, but it really is important. If you took the book of Acts out of your Bible today, you would be lost, because you'd have the Gospels, the, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you would move right into Romans. And you would say, Huh, what happened here? Acts is that bridge work. It's the one that brings literally all of the things that Jesus talked about. Uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit, that was something he spoke of repeatedly to the disciples. The disciples voted, No, we just want you. We want you, Jesus, to stay here. We want you to stay here. We don't need no Holy Spirit. We're good. And Jesus said, No, I must leave so that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, can come. And literally, you here today that have trusted Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit lives within each and every one of you upon receiving Christ by faith. That's fantastic news, isn't it? How would, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, uh, an individual particular I was thinking of, which was mentioned today, is the man Saul, the King, King Saul. This Holy Spirit was on him, and the Holy Spirit left him. I don't know what that's like, partner. That's not a good thing. But the Holy Spirit today, because of what Jesus Christ did, the dispensation of himself, giving and fulfilling the ultimate sacrifice, because of that, the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the down payment, the real deal that ex- literally stays with you to the day of, your, of redemption. Of, of, of glorification is what I should say. I mean, it's, there's no leaving. He's there. Praise God. Well, let's take uh, the, the division, essentially, Peter has been uh, very uh, in, influential in uh, what's taken place in the, in the book of Acts up to chapters 12. Uh, the, and again, very, very, very important. The Apostle Peter would have been that to laying the groundwork, uh, the Holy Spirit coming. He was the one that was in attendance at the beginning. Larry, I'm going to maybe have you throw that map on the wall again. We'll be using it throughout this, this, this session today. Um, the Jews first. Uh, that's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I want you to evangelize, to go to the Jews first. Peter gave that wonderful, wonderful message of preaching, and that's what we're talking about today. Paul's preaching today. It's one of his longest recorded sermons that we have. That's where we're at in chapter 13. Peter preached to the Jews, and guess what? Feast of Pentecost, and we've got the beginning of the church. People get saved. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And, and again, that's an invisible work. How would they know unless it was actually... Where were the tongues of fire at the first were there and then they spoke in tongues to give evidence to give validity to the fact that literally a language is spoken in, a, in something they did not understand To someone was there that got it, that's crazy isn't it that was the beginning of the Holy Spirit Peter also went out to the Samaritans uh, through the course of others' ministry they as such received the Holy Spirit and I can't imagine that, the difference if someone said the, the, the Samaritans and we haven't talked about the Gentiles the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit just like us no, I don't think so. We won't even walk across their land, let alone have a, a, a Jesus that fits in a religion that has the Holy Spirit touching both of them. No way. That's why Peter was, again, instrumental, the Holy Spirit coming on that group of people. And then through Cornelius, uh, Peter would have been absolutely there at front and center as well. Well, now we're, we've switched. We've moved to the sense of Paul Paul is now the headliner from the remaining portion of chapters 13 all the way to the end to the book of Acts. Peter, I'm sorry, uh, we've changed lead roles from Peter to Paul. In fact, it's interesting, even as we start in chapter 13, which we did last week, Barnabas is actually preeminent over Paul, or Saul as he's known. He's known at that time, Saul, uh, which was named after, no doubt, because he was from the tribe of Benjamin as well. Guess who? Saul, the king of which... Failed, he was all about self. Think about Paul the Apostle for a moment. Prior to his meeting Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, wasn't he a lot like Saul? He was proud, he was arrogant, he was self-willed. He was all about him. And Jesus Christ met him full force, and he became Paul the apostle. Okay, so uh, let's read our passage, and then we'll come back and and start to tie some things together. Acts chapter uh, chapter 13, we went through verses 1 through 13 last week. I'd like to pick it up at verse 13 because it ties us into the movement of what's taking place, and we'll go through, I believe, to verse 41. This is essentially uh, Paul's sermon to the group at Uh, Antioch and Pisidia. We'll be looking in a moment. Verse 13, Acts chapter 13. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, You men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, "'Men of Israel, and you that fear God, give audience.' "'The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers "'and exalted the people when they dwelt "'as strangers in the land of Egypt. "'With a high arm brought he them out of it. "'And about the time of 40 years "'suffered he their manners in the wilderness. "'When he had destroyed seven nations "'in the land of Canaan, "'he divided their land to them by lot.' And after that, he gave unto them, judges, about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of, of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. When he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will." Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think you that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation brought." I'm sorry, sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And When they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen many days of them, which came up, came "...up with them from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. We declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David." "'Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, "'Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. "'For David, after he had served his own generation "'by the will of God, fell on sleep "'and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. "'But he, whom God raised again, saw no corruption.' Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, you despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it. Unto you, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. May God add a special blessing to his word, and let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study. Father God, thank you for the beautiful day that you've allowed us to be here in your midst, to hear from you the word of God which we've just read. We'd ask, Father, that those words would be taken by the Holy Spirit, who would be solely our teacher, Father, we rest upon the word of God. We thank you for the truth that we can live by because you've given us this. Thank you, Father, for those that are here today and would you bless them and their families especially. Father, you know their needs before they do. You know what they need before they do. Father, uh, with that in mind, we just ask that you would put your arms around them, that you would give them love, that you would give them everything they need for the situation, the journeys before them. Father, we thank You for what You're going to accomplish. Again, asking that the Spirit would lead us, guide us, direct us with the power of the Word. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 13, as we've already said, is a is a dividing point. Um, Paul and Barnabas, and it's interesting, even if you've noticed in uh, chapter 13, there was five leaders mentioned that were would have been pastors, if you will, well, in Antioch, um, let's see, in Antioch, which would be In Syria, that was some time, that was where uh, literally um, Paul had been spending some time as well in Syria. You find Antioch right here. This was actually the center point of the church towards the outreach to the Gentiles. Uh, Antioch would have been that place. Well, um, the Holy Spirit asks for two men, specifically Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas and Saul. He was still, this chapter again is, is is, is a unfolding of that as well. So two of the five guys that are leading in Antioch, God is called to go out and to preach to the uttermost parts of the world. So they take off from Antioch and they go down to Salamis. Well, they go to Cyprus but they go through the city of Salamis, end up in Paphos. We looked at that last week. It was intense resistance. It's amazing. When God's work's going on, get ready because Satan is going to come at you. If you're starting something, if you're engaged in really uh, proliferating the glorification of God, I will tell you, the Bible is absolutely explicit. Satan will come with all forces. We've talked in the last several weeks of the fact of being available. Uh, Paul was very available, wasn't he? Barnabas was very available. Those men's gifts were utilized by God because of their availability. One of the questions which I had the deer in the headlights look from you, uh, because you didn't know, what is he asking? Last week I asked you this, what do spiritual leaders do? What do they do when they're spiritual leaders? What do they do to become a spiritual leader? And you you gave answers, all of which were fine, but the one I'm really looking for was just so simple, and that is continue to be prepared. Prepare, prepare, prepare. Paul, right honestly, uh, right honestly, Paul honestly has done a great deal of preparation to bring this sermon. I, I, I'm just going to say that we'll come back and do a little more review. But if you think about it, they, they come and they're, well, let me follow the, the tracking. Um, they had a great victory. I, I need to slow down. I'm not going to talk about that right now. So Paphos is where the, the victory was really intense because of the opposition that came. Head on, Satan came, and guess what? When they left Cyprus, Mark this, the governor of Cyprus was saved. You'll get stuff done, won't you? And who do you think set that opportunity up? In fact, while they were in uh, Salamis, Salamis, that was the largest city in Cyprus, somehow that governor must have heard of the speaking of the gospel, of the good word that was coming, and he says, I want you guys to come and tell me the good word. And you remember that little guy by the name of uh, Bar-Jesus, Or Elamus, he is like in their face. And Paul all of a sudden, now this was this is really if you mark it. Up to this point, it's been Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Barnabas, guess what happens in verse 13 after that confrontation between Satan's resistance and the governor, which ultimately became saved? This is this is something to mark because I'm not sure. Remember who left them? John Mark. He was a cousin of Barnabas, okay? Family. Kind of a family deal. Watch this in verse 13. Just look ahead. We'll come right back. Verse 13, chapter 13, it says, Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos. What? Paul and his company? Where's Barnabas? You see what's happened? Paul now is the leader of this group. Barnabas, the encourager, he always is. Isn't he an amazing guy? He was actually, think of this now. This is what makes, to me, this is what I want all of us to be encouragers like Barnabas. Because it doesn't matter what position we are, it's what do we bring to the position. Because if you remember, he was the first one that came to Antioch, the head church in, in Syria. And literally, he begins to be the pastor of that church. And all of a sudden, it's too overwhelming. It's too much. He can't handle it. Guess where he goes? He goes to find, guess who? Mr. Tarsus. That would be Saul, and he brings him back home to Antioch, and all of a sudden he's sharing the ministry. In chapter 13, verse 1, we have five of those guys, and there's two of those God calls. He says, Barnabas and... You you read it, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and... Now, in verse 13, after that resistance from Satan, Paul is the one that was risen up by by the Holy Spirit and takes him on head on. The governor gets saved, and it's Paul and company. From this point on, it's Paul and Barnabas... Now, did John Mark go home for that reason? I don't know. I don't have any idea. But I want to, we'll talk about that in a moment. As that's taking place, Cyprus, in the event of those guys being there for that period of time, is a different land. Can you imagine what's going on in the talk? Whoa, Governor Sergius Paulus is a Christian. He's a believer. Don't you think things are happening on God's train of thought? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we need to be praying for our leaders, not only in our... And and thankfully, we have a governor in Montana that is a saved man. Do we pray for Gianforte? Do it, please. He asked, I I told you this before, but that was the first governor. That's probably the only one that I've spoken with, actually. I said, how can I pray for you, sir? And he told me. We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for leaders in all capacities, whether it's right there in the courthouse in Virginia City, whether it's the city council in Sheridan, or wherever you live, literally need to be praying for those people because you know where Satan is going to come. He's going to come headlong into people that have opportunities to promote the gospel, or at least open the avenues for gospel to be promoted. That's why churches, this one is no different. When we're out there preaching, proclaiming Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved. The only way for salvation, we can expect opposition. If we don't, we've got to be kidding ourselves. The Bible is very clear. Be prepared. How do we prepare? Reading the Word, being in prayer. That's what those guys did. Those spiritual leaders were fasting and praying, looking for the Holy Spirit's direction. That's what's going on. Let's go back now to... uh, to verse 13 for a moment, when Paul and his company loose from Paphos. Okay, let's, let's follow the journey. So they've left, they've left Paphos. They're on Cyprus. They go up to a little town, Atalia, which would have been a seaport in Perga. Okay, it's right on the bottom side of Asia Minor. This would have been an area that, that uh, Paul or Saul would have been a lot, should we say, very uh, acquainted with. This, this whole region, if you will, right here <coughs> is Galatia. Now, where, what was the first letter in the New Testament of the letters of Paul that was actually uh, written? Galatians. Okay. Now, it makes good sense, doesn't it? This would have been some of the first places, the first places that they would have gathered. Guess what? The, the book of Galatians was needed because all of a sudden the Jewish contingency wanted to add law to grace. Now, fortunately, that's not happening today, right? That was a joke, and you should be <laughs> laughing because people want to do things, it's outside of grace, and that's where we get in trouble. There's those that totally expunge or want to deny grace, and there's those that want to add to grace. But it's grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to glorify God alone, through the Scripture alone. That's truly what salvation is. It's the only way to be saved. So they're in this little place called Perga. Now, the interesting part is nothing's, it doesn't even say he preached there. It doesn't say he says anything. It doesn't do anything. Now there's some. If you go to Galatians chapter four verse thirteen, it seems as such he was suffering from some type of an infirmity or sickness or illness. Maybe very much so at this level. Who knows? He could have even acquired a malaria. He didn't. It, it just seems like he's very quiet. And I'm of uh, Paul. Now this journey. Now let's keep going. I'll show you as you're going. We're going to go from Perga up to Antioch of Pisidia. Okay, not this Antioch over here in Syria, but in Asia Minor. Pisidia, the, the Antioch that's in Pisidia. Okay, that's about a hundred miles if you go from Perga to Pisidia. Now we think of a hundred miles, and what's a hundred miles from us? Where are we at? You're gonna go to Bozeman probably, and it'll take you longer than you think if you have somewhere to go in Bozeman. Correct? That's that's the today's Bozeman, but it's it's about a hundred miles. Now, so for us to go to a hundred miles is really not a big deal. You get in your whatever, your vehicle, you take off, and you get there. Uh, I won't say how fast I can get there once in a while, but at any rate, see, God bless me with a really heavy right foot. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that? The right foot is the last thing to get convicted, seems like. I'm just kidding, just kidding. But you guys are smiling because I know, I know. At any rate, I want to talk to you about this hundred miles. This hundred miles, and it's just spoken of, let's read verse 14 so we get it. Um, but when they departed from Perga, They came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Now, that verse is so absent of so many things that took place. This journey going from Perga to Antioch, Pisidia, as I've already said, would have been about 100 miles. But sea level to Antioch and Pisidia, it's about a 3,600-foot climb. That journey is the most, one of the most treacherous. It's the Taurus Mountains. And even Alexander the Great, when he was trying to join some country, he said the worst part of the entire thing, battle included, was traversing through the Taurus Mountains. It's full of robbers. It's full of scavengers. It's hard terrain. There's two wicked, wicked rivers that you have to ford. This is actually, it's not stated. is probably one of the most adventuresome, difficult journeys that you could make. Now, the question I have, of course, is, why did they go there? Well, so far, it seems like everywhere they've went, it's because the Holy Spirit has guided them, which is exactly where I want to go. Difficult or not difficult, I want to go where the Spirit directs me to go. And I hope you have the same the same uh, Um, focus. That 100 miles would have been very, very difficult. Very difficult. And what did they do the first thing they come to town? Well, the first thing of any noteworthiness is they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Have you thought about that? Uh, Where did they go in Salamis? They went to the synagogue. Now, Paul actually asked a really great question last week. I don't even remember exactly your phrase but it was around the synagogue. Did you did you say why how, What how, authority or what give, Oh, but what, what gave them what the right that to that be Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Uh, to, to right. There, there's a couple of things I did some more research into that. But remember, now who would have been a native to Cyprus was Barnabas. So what better place to start if it's Barnabas and Saul than to go ahead and come right to hometown if you will and to share in he was a Jew, Barnabas was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. What a great place to go, because you've already got foundation. Now, that was the thing that I marvel at as I go through Jesus Christ and how he spoke to people in the Gospels. He didn't start where they weren't at. He started right where they were at, the woman at the well. He didn't start in some really high-up pharisaical teachings to destroy them. No, no, no. He started right where she was at. What does she need that day? She needs water. What does Jesus present himself as? The living water, right? See, that's the one thing that we need to get a better handle on. And we'll find it in Peter's I'm sorry, in Paul's sermon today. He's really, really good at it too. He starts where it's at, where there's foundation, where there's some sense of understanding. Boom, that's where he starts. That's how it is with us today. Whoever you're talking to, get some background. Who are they? What do they understand? Where are they from? What's important to them? This is extremely important. And Paul did it a masterful job, just as our Savior did. It's a, now, if he was in Pharisees' company, it's amazing. He took no prisoners. He called them what they were. He called them exact. Sometimes like, whoa, you could have softened that just a tick. But no, they were already hardened already, weren't they? A hardened heart. At any rate, so they're in Pisidia of Antioch. Or Antioch of Pisidia, I'm sorry. They slip in. Now... Um, No doubt two weeks before they got there they would have sent the team to tell everyone Barnabas and Saul are coming and you guys need to get ready. This is like an event you have never heard anybody like Saul speaking. You you haven't. So get ready. Get them all in here. That is not what happened. In fact, let's read it again. It's, It's almost so quiet. It's amazing. It says they came to Antioch-Pisidia, verse 14, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Did you get it? They're visitors. They just come in. And no doubt would have been, you know, there's visiting, no doubt. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like they would have just, because they would have been known. And there, word travels faster than, than, you know, they knew Saul was coming somewhere. He's around because they've heard about him. They've heard about Barnabas. But they take no authority, they take no preeminence, they take a seat. Why could they do that? Because the Spirit is leading the cause. What better way than for someone in the synagogue, the synagogue leaders. Now let's stop for a moment. A couple of things that would have happened is there's called Shema, S-H-E-M-A. Okay. Uh, in fact, let's just read it. This is something that would happen at no doubt at that synagogue, and even likely even today. Uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This would have been how you would have started a service in that synagogue. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through verse 9. This is how they would start. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and while thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Thou shalt bind them for a sign unto thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. They would read that every single time at the synagogue. That's how they opened it up. That was their creed, if you will. Right out of God's Word. It's great, isn't it? Then they would have some prayers, and then they would read a portion of Scripture out of the Law and the Prophets. Now, how it was determined how much of that was through seven years they wanted to be able to read through the entire Law and Prophets of the Old Testament. So, whatever it took for every time they met, every week, seven years they divided into that portion. After that, then they would speak about what was spoken, or that, what that was read. That was that was a service. That's how it went on. So now in this time, uh, now where they sat, I'm, I'm assuming they were not probably even in the front row. We don't. I don't know where they're at. They're sitting down in this place, which has a lot of Jews. And that, that's, it's amazing, actually, how God's people would have been scattered and dispersed, even at that. Uh, you know, here's here's Judea, and look at we're way up there. And it's a Jewish contingency, very much so, in fact. After the reading of the law and the prophets, see, we just spoke of that, and the, of the synagogue, sent unto them saying, You, I'm sorry, yeah, you men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. <laughs> Do you think the Holy Spirit's in charge right now? This is fantastic. In other words, Paul, for a moment, you're going to be Paul the Apostle, okay? Ooh, that's heavy, right? That's heavy. And and anyway, the synagogue leaders say, after reading the law and prophets, they're saying, hey guys, we kind of know who you are. In fact, he was a student of Gamaliel. Who was Gamaliel? He was a big time leader in the Sanhedrin. He was respected by everyone. He was a Jew's Jew. Saul was a student of Gamaliel. In other words, that's not, that, that probably was very well reported. They would have known. And it's like, if you've got any words of encouragement right now, speaking about the law and prophets, this is your time. Go for it. Now, let's step back to last week. What if spiritual leaders don't prepare? Uh, 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 I'll get back to you, <laughs> right? Paul never missed a, he never missed a beat, He's on it. The Spirit has opened the avenue. He's opened the doorway. And obviously the Spirit is using Paul's mind and heart as well for what's going to become. So he steps up. Paul stood up. <laughs> and I know he was a guy that spoke with his hands. We know it because it says it. Did you see it? He beckoned with his hand. <laughs> Someone said that they really couldn't have a conversation in a really cold Snowstorm because they frees their hands, right? Are you like that? Are you one of those people who have to talk with your hands? If I'm in front of people, I don't know what it is, but I got to talk with my hands, right? Paul would have been the same way. We find it right there in verse 16. What's he going to say? What is he going to tell this group? He doesn't know them. He just shows up. He's in a synagogue, yes. He would know that there's foundation. Why would, again, let's, why would he go to a synagogue? Why would you start, why would you go there? Why not just like rent the metra? Bring it on, right? You're looking at me. Is there anything wrong with it? No, there isn't. But why would he, st- you'll find a pattern here. He started in the synagogue. Goes to a new place, start in the synagogue. Why does he do that? And I think there's a part of that because in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he's very clear and open. It says He has a great desire for his people. He was a Jew himself. I think, there's a, I think there's a significant portion of that, right? I think there is. But we've already, you can see the resistance, the rejection from Jesus Christ on that the Jew is, and right now, literally, this is part of the beginning of the setting aside of the Jewish nation. Not rejected, set aside. Thankfully for you, if you're a Gentile, you can say, praise God. The Jews didn't just tie right onto it. Now, God would have, in God's infinite wisdom and unbelievably eternal mind, somehow we would have been included in that. But currently, the reason we're here is because the Jews resisted and rejected Jesus Christ. They've done it again. The church started in Jerusalem. That was the first place. They rejected it, moved to Samaria, moved to Cornelius or to the Gentiles. It's open. Here we go to the synagogue. One of the things that would be interesting is what's what's Paul going to preach about today? I, I can tell you if I was with him and someone said, Paul, could you give us some words of encouragement today from the Law and the Prophets? Now, that's what do we know about that? That's Old Testament. See, they didn't have the New Testament, let alone today the Jewish mind would reject everything in the New Testament. They want nothing to do with it because, now this is the interesting part, because it's Jesus not because it's untrue. They just say Jesus is in there. Jesus was rejected. So, where's the best place to start if you're Saul or Paul? In the Old Testament. Because it's—you know—where where is he going to start? He's going to start with a foundation. What were the couple of things that all everyone in that place would have been all on, all in? Starting on familiar territory that you can really suck them in. What is that? The fact that God chose Israelites as His chosen people. Preach it, Paul. Preach it, right? And that's where he starts. He starts right where everybody would be just taking it in. Isn't that a great place to start? Get their attention. Keep them on. Get them on the team, if you will, to start with. Let's just get bring them in. Let's listen. Let's get them engaged. Does it perfectly. The synagogue would have been that place for a Jew. That literally. How are you going to talk about Jesus? How are you going to present him? Now, there's signs that go around in ball games. Repent or go to hell. I don't see those as real effective. Maybe there's somebody somewhere that maybe they were far enough down the train that literally that day, that sign needed to get them. I'm not, I'm not going to take a position accepting if I would just carry a sign downtown Sheridan today. Now, everybody, say somewhere where I'm not knowing. Let's even do that. Okay. Let's say I go somewhere and I've got a sign, repent or go to hell. I don't know. You're not going to have a hard, you're not going to have a huge following. Why? <clears throat> you haven't met them where they're at. This is what's really good because Paul would have had an understanding of the Old Testament like was unbelievable. He was a student of it. Gamaliel would have taught him all kinds of insights, right? Now, from the wrong perspective, Saul would have gotten it from the wrong side. We know he served the wrong side, right? But he's different today. And the Old Testament is full of Messianic promises. That's the next thing. A Jew would all obviously want to be, what shall we say, built up because we're chosen people of God. And secondarily, history points to the Messiah. If you're a Jew, all of history points to a Jew. I'm sorry, to, to the Messiah. is not true. Now, just think about all history. That's a question for us. Where is history taking us? What's the purpose of life? Does my life matter? Where are we going? Now, again, if you're caught up in society, ultimately to the whatever society brings, I mean, you have to take a step back and say, is this it? Is this all there is? You just attempt to get rich, attempt to get power, and then it's over? Everyone knows you can't take it with you, right? There's been some guys that have tried to put, who was that guy that... He had this pink Cadillac, and they actually buried the Cadillac with him in it. Who was that? I don't think it helped him. <laughs> just costs more to dig the grave, right? You can't take it with you. So you have to take a step back. Is, is, is this all there is? Now, an atheist says there's no God. He or she wants there to be no God. Because it's easier for them to do what they want to do then. There's no one to be responsible to. I have to believe that behind all of that, literally is the fact that if, they're, if, you're, if you're caught up in sin and just societal and the whole system, that literally, I just do, I'm going to do what I want to do whenever I want to do it, as long as I want to do it, and that's it. Is it really that? Is that what this is about? Do you look out at those mountains and you say, it just happened? I don't think so. Romans chapter 1 says, The creation itself speaks of God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's pretty pretty vivid, isn't it? Hard language. But where does history take us? Literally, history takes us right to Jesus Christ. In fact, if you take from the very beginning of the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, all the way to the end of the Bible, it speaks of Jesus Christ. Now, he's not named in Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, but there was something that had to happen Man fell away from God. You go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, and it says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. God chose us. Those are those that are believers. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. All of those that have trusted Christ. We were selected in Christ before he made anything. Whoa. Now you're starting to see how bigger God is. You see, history is a lot lot more than just, and by the way, it it is amazing. And If you read Ecclesiastes, I was listening on uh, audio Bibles, I don't even know, I just got got on that one a couple weeks ago, and they were finishing, no, I read through the whole book of Ecclesiastes, and it was just like two or three days. And I tell you what, oofty, right? You read Ecclesiastes, you're like, what's the point? It is is depressing, and as as, as even Solomon. Now, now there's a guy. It's written from perspective. Uh, Tell me what Solomon couldn't afford, couldn't have. Nothing. He had it all. He could have anything he wanted whenever he wanted it. That's the guy that wrote Ecclesiastes. Not someone that is striving to have everything he can get. No. And he says everything under the sun. Is futile. And I would have to say exactly the same thing. If you are living life without Jesus Christ, you are living in futility because the future is dim. Those that embrace, uh, uh, what's the right word? Uh, just keep coming to the region. Uh, re- reincarnation, right? So their, their hope is they just keep going through these endless cycles. And it just doesn't ever end. Oh. So you have a bad life, you come back as a fly? I don't know, right? <laughs> there's a couple of them flying around it, right? <laughs> now, now, first of all, that seems so ridiculously stupid. But again, if you're clinging to something of where there's just monotony and endless hopelessness, it's amazing how infinity can drive you that far. You take the whole theory of evolution. Because they want to resist design, they want to resist a creator, what they've done then is they've just added another bucket of time. Just give it more time and it can happen. With enough time, anything can happen. It's like the human's, it seems like the human's mind's solace to an insolvable problem. It's to just throw a bucket of time on it. Now I'll just tell you as far as fixing and making things that are creative. Chaotic, not chaotic, my shop is a prime example of what just time does. It does not fix that.
1: <laughs> doesn't fix it.
0: Time doesn't fix anything. It takes design. It takes a creator. All of those things. And you know what? Behind all of history... It's his story, if you will. It's God's story. And he's unfolding all of it. And guess what? It's all about culmination in Jesus Christ. Because you take Jesus Christ out of time, out of history, and you have hopelessness. Hopelessness. Today, if you're just looking at the world from a communication device, right? I don't care if Republican Democrat or who knows, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's just like, ah, it's hopeless. You're right. It became hopeless when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. It was great. It was like the day before, it was like great because God said, it's very good. It's good. It's very good. And then sin entered the human race. And it was a really, really bad day. But God saw it coming. And He created a way to escape. If you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, that's the only way to escape. It is hopeless until you accept Him. That's what history is about. So, let's watch how Paul unfolds this. It's masterful, actually. So, he's been asked to come to the front. He stands up. He's beckoning with his hands. You can tell this guy's going to be a force, isn't he? And he says to these people, he says, Men of Israel... And you that fear God give audience. No, he's, he, he, It's sort of divisive, not divisive, but it's, it's, a, it's a segmented call to attention. Men of Israel, those would be Jews. Those would be Jews that are obviously in a synagogue, long ways away from, from Israel, but it's still men of Israel. And you that fear God, who would that be? The Gentiles, probably those that are proselytes, so those that would be attending the synagogue from a Gentile perspective, but seeking God. They're fearing God. He says, I want you guys to listen closely, okay? Here he goes. He's going to go to history first. Verse 17, the God of this people of Israel, that's them, chose our fathers. You see it? He's, he's, he's bringing them right together. And I mean, there are, there's, there's amen, absolutely, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with a high arm, that's a, that's a sense of power. We could drive that word all the way back into the Psalms. We could look at numerous places where it's seen as God's power. With a high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of 40 years, suffered he their manners. <laughs> that's a really nice way of saying they put up with their nonsense. He put up with their nonsense. For 40 years, they're wandering around the desert, right? And just whine, 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 whine. And it's just, nothing's wrong. We don't need bread. We don't have any meat. We don't have this. We don't have that. And God was just like, in fact, he was so tired one time. He said, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to just wipe these clowns out. Let's start over and we'll start with you. And that's what made something, really made an impression. And, and God knew this, of course, but Moses, he was known as the most meek man. Have you ever had a situation where you have the power to really do something to someone that would get their attention? I mean, they've done something wrong to you. They've messed with your life, and you have the power to really do something to make a difference, and you choose not to. That's meekness. Now, I don't know how we got in the, in the English, I, I would say in the United States, I'll just say it that way. How did we get so that meekness equals weakness? No, it's the opposite. Meekness is power under control. It's not doing what you'd like to do, probably. That's when Moses, he said, no, 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 Lord God, you prom- this is your promised land. This is your chosen people. This is your people. These are the promises you made, God, and God can't ever go back on His Word. We learned a lot more from Moses of what he turned into. Let's keep going. He put up with them for 40 years wandering around the desert. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. Now, just hold your place. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. It lists those seven nations in Deuteronomy chapter 7. These are the seven nations that literally were destroyed. Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse one. Real quickly, Deuteronomy seven one: When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites—seven nations, greater. And mightier than thou, and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee. See, those are the seven nations right there. Those are the ones that, that he has, what should we say, exited for the chosen people. Now, I do like the fact he mentions in Deuteronomy, Moses would have written that book. Moses it was written before they went in. That's, think of that for a moment. The significance of the written word. It's just like when you read Ephesians chapter 6, putting on the whole armor of God because He's coming after us. If you're a Christian, Satan will bring a game against you. There's resistance that will come. It's just like, think of those seven nations. He says, I will displace them, and they're mightier, and they're stronger than you are. When you come to the borders of Canaan, you may as well just know right now, they're bigger, they're meaner, they're tougher, and it doesn't matter because I'm your God. Do you approach your problems that way? I had one of those weeks I needed to approach him that way, right? I've got a man I need you to pray for. Enrique is his name. He's been a Mexican fellow that I've had close to 20 years. He's struggling with something in his life. He actually exited and went back to Mexico, leaving a big hole in our program. Pray for Enrique and his family. Alcoholism has really captured him right now. But behind every alcoholic, there's something else. There's something else that hasn't been dealt with. But here's a man literally that I have, he's part of been part of our family. Close to 20 years. That has lived here nine months out of every year. That hurts. But I hurt because I know he hurts. He needs Jesus. But you know what? That problem, all of the things that happened in your life and my life. It's kind of like those seven nations. When you put God in charge, they can be bigger. They can be mightier. They can be overwhelming. It's God's work. We need to be... Remember those two... There's two words, really. This, this is about acts, really. And we've already, we've already... We could stop an act. You need to be available and prepared. So one of the things that I needed to do this week was prepare... I need to get before God. I need, I need to just, like, here, here's a word. Do you mind this? This is not in my notes today, okay? So, let's go to Psalm chapter 18. I, I woke up in the middle of the night, and, and Psalm 18 is what pops in my head, right? And it's like, this is what I need. This is the, this is the power that I need. Uh, Psalms chapter 18. It was written by, by David. That's not a shock. He'd been delivered from his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Uh, Again, I can't imagine what that would look like. Uh, Just just stop. You're in Shalom's 18. Let's let's talk for just a moment. I don't know why we're going to do this. We're going to do this. How would you like to have a father-in-law that's trying to kill you? And not a little bit. (laughs) He's he's literally threw a spear at you (laughs) while you were playing music for him. Do you have a father-in-law like that? You're hiding in caves. You're running for your life. <laughs> do you get it? That's what our problems do to us too. They haunt us. They chase us. They become bigger. And and I don't know about you, but in the dark, problems are big. <laughs> They're big. But he wrote this. I read this verse, well, these two verses a good share of the week. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. That's a decision I'm going to make. I love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust my buckler or my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. (laughs) See, it's times like that you need that. You know what the Israelites did? They did what we do. God told them before they even showed up. I'll tell you what, you've got seven nations. They're bigger. They're tougher. They're meaner. But I'm going to take them out. You just do what I want you to do. Obey me. They're gone. And what did they do? They're too big. I already told you that. They're too mighty. I told you that. They're too strong. I told you that. What's the problem? They didn't trust God. It's the way it is, isn't it? Let's go back to our text. <laughs> Paul is singing this song. He's got him now. He says he had destroyed seven. And who's he? It's God. God is doing the work. He's the one that destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan. He divided their land to them by lot. After that, he gave them unto Judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. Now, the 450 years has to do with the time frame of when they were in Egypt, then they were wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, and then for 10 years, or approximately 10 years, that's what it took to inhabit the land of Canaan. In other words, that conquest, those seven nations being... and, And you know what? They never did finish the job. If you read the book of Judges, you read Joshua, you find that they started... But they didn't finish. Boy, that's something I don't want to have my Savior say. Larry, you started, but you didn't finish the journey that I gave to you. Wouldn't that, that's depressing, isn't it? And what's the difference? We just fail to continue to trust. That's what, that's what life's journey is. is trusting one step at a time. So 450 years and then, he actually entered into what we would call the um, judges period. I looked just briefly. I didn't do a lot of study on it. But if you go to Judges, um, the Israelites probably would have entered the land of, uh, of Canaan around 1406. So let's just say 1400 BC. Isn't it interesting? You know, I, I just think of this. And they've tried for a long time to try to get Jesus out of, they can't, he divides time. There's before Christ and there's after Christ. He's the only one that will ever divide time. Before there was Christ, all of those sins were future. And you know what? Every single sin that you have ever committed or will commit was future when Jesus Christ paid for them on that cross. He paid for them. So, 1400 B.C., Saul became king about 1050 B.C. So, there's 450 years in him coming from Egypt through the wilderness to getting to the land. And there's another 350 years of Judges. And that's now that was cyclical. Again, without God, life's a cycle, isn't it? we, We trust God, He bails us out. We're all on board, things go too easy, we slip away. Wait, are we talking about America right now? That's how humans are, right? And we reject, get away from them, resist Him, and we're conquered. Right now America is being conquered from within. We're being conquered from within. We've resisted God. We've resisted Him so long now that the people that are in power, that are making decisions, are what they call in Romans chapter 1, given over to a reprobate mind. That's a mind that cannot think clearly. And it's very cyclical. Right? For 350 years, those judges, and it was about a generation each, they'd follow, I mean, I'm sorry, they'd resist God, they'd be defeated, they'd be conquered, they'd cry out to God in t- complete, dismal hopelessness. God gives them, Othniel would be the first judge. Gives them Othniel. He judges for about 40 years, about one, you know, one, one cycle. He dies, fall right down to it. 350 years of that. You know, one thing that's interesting to me, now we've just talked about 800 years, 450 years from Egypt on, 350 years to getting to the first king, that's 800 years. How old is America? Well, we're not very old, are we? But we're right on the edge right now of where tyranny will take place. We'll give freedom for fun. We are, we're doing that at any cost. We will be, we will be tyrannized by ourselves. That's exactly what the Israelites did. You see how Paul is painting this picture. He's got them involved. He's got them there because they were their fathers, their people. It says, afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them salt. Now, that's an interesting thing. They wanted a king. You know, the one that was most distraught over that was Samuel. He was the last of the prophets. And he was just crying beyond himself. And they said this, Samuel, I tell you what, let's be honest. Let's just cut through the stuff. No chaff. Let's just get right to it. Your sons aren't very good. We we can't trust them. They're just losers. I mean, that's basically what it says. You go back and read it. We want a king like all the other nations. And he took it personal. And God said, wait a minute, Samuel, I hear what they're saying. They didn't reject you. They rejected me. Isn't that true? It's Absolutely true. So he gives them Saul. He gives them what they want. (laughs) That's scary. There's a lot of things that I've prayed for. It would have been better if I didn't get. (laughs) And after the fact, it was like, thank you, God, for not letting that happen, right? God knows better than we do. But he gave them Saul. Saul was tall, dark, and handsome, disobedient, rebellious, remarkably self-filled, and they got what they wanted. Now, I'm wondering if he didn't mention Saul. The speaker of this is still Saul. Because I'm sure he was named after this man because Saul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, was from the tribe of Benjamin. This would have been old family tradition, if you will. Many years have taken place. Many, many years have taken place. But then he says this. Afterward, they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. He was king for 40 years. When he had removed him, again, you see, he is referring to God every single time. When he had removed him, he raised him up into, unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. You talk about two guys on a different plane, is you have Saul and you have David, now Saul, I've told you quite a bit about him, right? It was all how he looked in people's eyes. It was how could he be looked more impressive? He wore all the goodies. He was, you know, remember when uh, when what was it? Was it Goliath, right? Goliath is he's taunting him across the valley, and Saul still has all his garb on. He's the one that should have went out there. He was the biggest, tallest, meanest, puffiest guy they had. If it's about that, what's your problem? Let's go get it done. And here's this little shepherd boy bringing some food to his brothers. He listens to this clown, you know, yelling across the valley. And he's like, so what do you guys, what's the problem here? <laughs> I can just see David doing that. Because you know what? There was nothing too big. There was nothing too mean. There was nothing too difficult because he trusted God. I, he talks about the bear and the lion. Now, I'll be honest, a bear or a lion, me alone, I, can have a, I, I would go with the rifle, but he didn't have one of those. And somehow he warded them off. And he says, because he trusted God. He just sees this guy as another bear or a lion. And he's spitting in God's face. What, what, what are you guys doing? This is, real, this is crazy. And then remember what, you remember, you remember what Saul, this is, this is really it. This is what happens too much in our world too. How much do we depend on stuff? Okay, so here's, this, here's David. He goes and gets some, gets, you know, gets stuff. Uh, some rocks. And he's got a sling, right? And and Saul's just looking at this little guy, and he says, "Huh, take my stuff, right?" He he puts on this. You know, I can just see this little guy. He I can't even walk. What good is this stuff going to do me? No, you got to have your. I don't want your stuff, right? And he goes out to meet him. And Goliath, of course, makes fun of God, right? He's making fun of him. Who are you, you, you little runt, right? I'll tell you what. I would much rather be smaller in God's army than to have depending upon all of the power of the world today people are so worried about a nuclear war destroying the planet my Bible says God's going to do that I'm not worried about a nuclear war I'm worried about the people that are worried about the nuclear war they don't have a God their God is just stuff And you know how that worked. David absolutely took him out one shot. But he was prepared. Do you know what? I always say this. He didn't take just one rock. He took several. Are you prepared? Be prepared. Take advantage of everything God leaves you with tools. But I'll tell you what. That man, David, was a man after God's own heart. Are you a man or a woman after God's own heart? That uh, seems so gigantic, doesn't it? It seems like it's overwhelming, just looming. Yeah. David might have sinned more than Saul. But the difference was his heart was soft. And when Nathan pointed his finger at him, you were that man, he softened, repented. And wrote three chapters of Psalms that when I'm feeling low, when I've sinned, when I've done something that is just, I know that David was there. I want to have the same soft return. I want to have the same look as David gave to it. Read Psalm 32 and 51. When you think that you've done it all, when you there's no way back, those chapters of Psalm will guide you back to God. You no, know, he wasn't sinless by any means. But he was he was the king that God needed. He was the one that wanted to do it God's way. But it goes on to say, Of this man's seed, David's seed, from his line, hath God according to his promise. Now it's gonna change a bunch. I didn't even finish the verse. How do you think the Jews are doing in the synagogue? Oh, this is good stuff. This is history. This is exactly right. Boom, 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 boom. David, yeah, that's our guy. And yeah, we have promises from David. We're right in line. We're ready to go. Here we go. And then he says this. I would think it would almost be like a, he said that out loud? Watch it. Verse 23. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise raised unto Israel a Savior. Now, this would be okay so far because they're all thinking about Messiah. They knew that a Jew, God chose the people, and their history revolved around a coming Messiah, a coming Messiah. And he says this, a Savior, Jesus. Now, I'm going to say at that point, they're looking around, what is he doing? (laughs) Where did this come from? When John, verse 24, when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think you that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to lose. The lowest job of the lowliest slave would be to literally take the shoes off of his master's feet. That is what John the Baptist spoke of with Jesus Christ. As he saw Him first, he said, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. Remember, the, this. you could put this on my gravestone. I must decrease. He, Jesus, must increase. That should be our life goal, literally. He must increase. I must decrease. He's talking about John the Baptist. He was the one that was pre, was, was coming and giving... A beginning or a, an unfolding of this roadway that God wanted to have before Jesus came. What was it about? Well, he's John the Baptist. He was baptized. What was he baptizing for? What, what, what was it about? Now, I want to point out it's not the same baptism as you're baptized today. It's not a baptism of Christianity. In fact, let's bump ahead in Acts for a moment and let's find some John the Baptist's uh, disciples that were still actually in the area. Uh, Let's go to Acts chapter 19 for a moment. We'll go here quickly. Acts chapter 19 and verses 1 through 4. It came to pass, are you there? Uh, Acts 19 verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus. "'Finding certain disciples, he said unto them, "'Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed?' "'They said unto him, "'We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost.' "'And he said unto them, "'Unto what then were you baptized?' "'And they said, "'Unto John's baptism.' "'Then said Paul, "'John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance.'" See it? That's exactly what that baptism was. In fact, that's what failed to happen. When Jesus Christ came, who was going to pay for their sins... If they were not in a spirit of repentance, that's why they missed him. Repentance is very much a part of salvation. Repentance is very simple. If I'm going this way, do you mind if I turn this on? Which button is it? This one? Okay, I'm going to change it. If I'm walking this way, repentance is what I'm doing and where I'm going is wrong. I'm going to turn around and go the other way. That's literally what the word means, to turn around and go the other way. The spirit of repentance. What were the Israelites doing? 400 years of complete silence. After the kings were gone, they were conquered by Babylon. They'd been in captivity. For 400 years, God did not speak to them. I don't want to live in that time frame. That's that intertestament. It's between the New and Old Testament. 400 years He didn't say anything. And then on the scenes comes Jesus. In fact, uh, I'm thinking of Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Let's turn there just a moment. God who at sundry times and in divers or various manners spake in time past unto the fathers but by, by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son whom He hath appointed heir of all things by whom also He made the worlds. He's speaking by Jesus Christ. Back to Acts chapter 13. He's now named Jesus. He's naming the one that really laid it out and what it's all about is the sense of repentance. Now watch in verse 26. He addresses them again for a second time. He says, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham and whosoever among you. What is the term that he's used? What pronoun has he used up till now about the father's? them. They. It was about their fathers, about their ancestors. Guess what he's done right now? He's introduced Jesus Christ. He has now opened the gate, showing that John the Baptist, and they all knew about John the Baptist. I guarantee you of that. They knew who he was, that he was literally coming as, from a repentance, a, a spirit of repentance that they literally... Now we're being addressed as you who fear God. To you, verse 26, is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their root, because there's two questions that would be asked. Paul, explain to us how come if Jesus was the Messiah, if he was the Messiah, how come the Jewish leaders back in Israel didn't recognize him? That's a fair question, isn't it? It's a fair question. And how does he answer it? They rejected John. They've rejected the whole sense of who Jesus was. They had a hardened heart. They had a resistance. It's just like today. It's the same deal. Resist and dismiss. Resist and dismiss. Now here's the other question that would follow up. If Jesus was killed, if he was crucified, does that throw God's plan out the window? In fact, this is what makes God God. He used their resist and dismiss to literally to the very point of killing and crucifying them. And crucifixion wasn't even a death that was known in the Old Testament when it was written. And yet it's talked about in Psalm chapter 22. In fact, Jesus said, just as a serpent must be lifted up, the Son of Man will be lifted up. Just the same thing. Literally, he is saying, because of their denial because of their dismissal because of their hatred literally prophecy was fulfilled he was placed on that cross just like he needed to be just like it was going to happen just like it was prophesied so that literally God wins that's what satan himself i'm wondering how do i play this it doesn't matter satan you lose if you kill jesus he wins How do you win? God wins. God wins. But think of all prophecy. I don't have time to do it today. We'll pick up next week. But there's something here that's very, very interesting. As in all of this history as it goes through, I'm thinking of David right now. That this one, this Messiah, all the Jews would have been on board. Yes, the Messiah is coming. Yes, the Messiah is our hope. Yes, the Messiah, the whole history is all about that. The seed of David is where the Messiah's line will come through. And on Jesus' that's, that's what I find interesting. There's no genealogies now. And if you're a Jew and you dismiss the Old te- I'm sorry, if you dismiss the New Testament, at least do yourself service to go ahead and look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ and then dismiss it and refute it. You can't because there is no genealogy records. They're all destroyed in 70 AD. Jesus Christ not only met the requirements of his mother's side, Mary, of which was his mother, his physical mother, on his father's side, he had the right to the throne. He was not his father, but he had the right to the throne from David as well. On both sides of mother mother and stepfather, would be the correct way to say it, he fulfilled the line of David. Now, just to show you how God uses bad situations and you may there's people that may have been hearing hearing my voice on the podcast who knows from now maybe 10 years from maybe it's during the tribulation period if you trust Jesus Christ there is nothing that can thwart you from eternity with him because he did the work he did the work I find it interesting the women that are listed in the genealogies in Jesus' line One of them comes as a result of adultery and murder on David's part. Solomon is in that line of David, serving as the eternal king of which Jesus will serve, coming through sin with Bathsheba. That, my friends, gives me a great deal of hope because no matter what you've done, God can turn that into blessing for you and glory for him I think of Rahab (laughs) coming into Canaan says those seven nations guess what she was one of those of the seven nations she was in one of those seven nations they come into town spies check it out and she's got a decision to make oh you guys the Israelites, the ones that God, your, your God, split the Red Sea and you like walked through and it came down and all. We heard about that. We've heard about that God. See, that's what Israel was all to be about when they were the chosen people. The rest of the world was to turn to God because as they obeyed their God, literally they would be blessed. And people would say, That's a God. That's like for us today. It's not about us, it's about the God we serve. That's who God is. And you know what? Rahab made the right decision. Guess what? She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's grace. That's grace that you and I today can reach out and take. You don't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't even get it from your mother. Because mothers would like to give their child everything they need, right? My mother actually did give me the opportunity. Yeah, you guys go ahead. Yep, go ahead. We're going to talk a lot about you in your absence. Right. <laughs> Boy, have I got a plan for you guys. You guys enjoy. and uh, Congratulations to all that will be baptized in Christ today. But it truly is amazing, the grace of God. And I see the grace of God right here. The man that's preaching, that stepped in front of this group in Pisidia in Antioch of Pisidia is a man that was on the wrong road, that had killed Christians. Let me say that again. Saul killed Christians. And that's why I think about, is it, is it Ephesians chapter 3? Let's turn there for a moment. And I'm, I'm going to start wrapping up. Those of you thinking just they left, we're going to start over again. No, we're not doing that. We're, we're going to be okay. Just hang on for a moment. This, this is a hard passage because I don't know where to stop exactly because there's so much here, but Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. Look at this. This is Paul, the apostle, speaking. Unto me, who am, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's exactly what he's doing. The unsearchable riches of Christ. What a fabulous thing that we have. It's unbelievable, no matter how big your problems are. And it seems like... The problems are getting bigger. But we serve a God that can handle them all. Every single one. The only one you can't handle is the one without Christ. It's unsolvable. That's a journey that will lead you to hell. That's what the Bible says. I'm, just, I'm not being blunt. I'm just being honest. That's the way it is. And truth sometimes hurts, but it's real. On which path are you? Are you one of these that Paul is reaching out to to give the grace of God? And if you are, encountered an opportunity to share that with everyone that you come in contact. You know, one of the things that we need to work at, this is, maybe this is a message for us today as well, those of you that trusted Christ, is when you're outside just visiting, being who you are, and someone you need to talk to Christ about, is starting where that person is at. Are you interested in where they're at? That's what Paul did. That's what Jesus did. Really good at it. I think we have to stop pretty soon because we're going to get into, yeah, pretty soon. <laughs> but we, we're going to get to another point here where it's going to, it's going to change course. I think, we're going to, I think we're going to stop here. But I want to, I want to share with you maybe just, um, let's go to Romans chapter 3 because he's, he's going to move here quickly, Paul is, with a group in Romans chapter 3. Even though obviously this, this was a book he wrote later through the power of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he says something in Romans chapter three verse twenty and on that the whole focus is about. Because as you're turning there, how would a Jew be saved? Okay, let's let's say you're a Jew. Let's say you're in that synagogue. You're there, and, and how does history later you? How does it open up? What's the future? What are we going to do? What what is what, what is it about for you as a Jew in that synagogue? How how are you? How do you go forward? What do you answer? At this point in time, more than likely, they would have tried to follow the law. They were going to try to be justified by the law. We're going to get into this next week in a, in a much deeper level, but to be justified by the law, okay? Okay. Now this is this is what <laughs> I've thought of this this morning, and I don't know why, but it popped in my head. So let's say that you sinned, okay? So you got to go out to the to the to the to the herd, and you get the sheep, right? And you take it to you know, to the priest, and you, and he offers it at the altar, and you had that sin atone or cover your sin. I said that word carefully, to cover. You did not take it away. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Until that time when Jesus died, all of it was just covered. It was just a slap. And you know what that person could know for sure? The one that just paid for that sin with that. He's going to have to do it again. And again. And again, It reminds me of a guy. We had sold a property in Terry, Montana farm and to a young couple and their father would travel back and forth from it wasn't Circle, it was uh, I can't remember the name of the little town in Eastern Montana. And he would travel and I said what's one day I said, "How are you doing today?" He said, "Good." Good. We're talking a little bit and this was the time frame, this kind of dates me a little bit, but it was back when if you were speeding you got a $5 ticket. In the daytime, no matter how fast you were going? So you're on the same, oh, yeah. anyway, okay. So he says, he says this, this, this is kind of like it, how it is. And this is how they were viewing God almost. I said, how are you doing? He said, good. I said, you know, what's going on? Well, he says, uh, I was driving too fast again. And I got pulled over and so, you know, give him the five bucks. And I said, here's another five for when I come home. <laughs> And I, and I don't know if he really did it, but I've never forgotten that because that's kind of how it is. You're always trying to work ahead. Work, that, was, that was my word. Work ahead. You're handing another $5. You're, you're paying your way forward, okay? If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you are eternally, eternally paid in full. Amen. All we have to do is to yield to the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We don't have to go find him. We don't have to figure out how to get the Holy Spirit. Do we have to pay more for that? Is that an extra accessory package? Do I have to get somebody to pray for? No, he's inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When we yield to the Spirit, the sins get less and less and less because we have a man or a woman after God's own heart. again, the consequences of sin goes on. Look at David's life. Right? Absalom. I mean, here's a son that's trying to kill him. A son because David wasn't a father. I mean, it's just, it's like that. But the point of the matter is, David always had a soft heart. That's literally what Paul had as well. This is my question to you. As you go through life, make sure you have a soft heart. Because a soft heart to God yields to the Spirit and has a heart after God's will. Be available. We learned that several weeks ago. Be prepared and have a soft heart. That's literally, we're describing what literally people in Jesus Christ become because God's not done with you. If you say I've got some rough edges, that's okay. That's okay because God's not done with you. There's coming a day we're going to sing about. That's the last hymn we'll have today. There's coming a day when it's all behind us. And we'll be in the presence of God. I can't wait to hug my Savior because he paid for it. It hurts me to know that I put those nail prints in his hand and the nail prints in his feet. It hurts me to know that for three hours he was without God. He wore my sin from noon to 3 o'clock. It was dark, and I mean dark. It was dark on the earth, but it was also dark in my Savior's work. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's written in Psalm chapter 22 and verse 1, and it was fulfilled in Matthew 27, 46. You will find all kinds of predictions and fulfillments in Jesus Christ while he's on the cross. And all I can say is thank you, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the plan of salvation that you enacted, that you made real through the life of your son. Thank you that you spoke to the world through him. Emmanuel, God with us. Hard to imagine, Father, that you were that intimate with us. Father, there's coming a day, though, we're going to sing about in just a moment, when we will be with you. I pray that you'd be with each one of these here today, that you would meet their needs, show them the way, add to their faith, give them strength for the journey before them. And, Father, may it be a good week to bless them and to glorify you in Christ's name